invite you to turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. That will be our sermon passage uh, for this morning as we continue walking with the life of Elisha through First and 2 Kings here. Um, and we'll start this way. The mission of the church from creation all through eternity is at its core. It has two primary functions. One was given to Adam by God and the other to Abraham as well. The first is to take dominion over all creation. That's the creation mandate, to tend and to keep God's house. And the second is to be a blessing to the nations, that all nations will be blessed through God's people. And then as we fast forward to the end of our scriptures, we see in John's revelation here that there is a promise that there will be a new garden with a tree of life and streams of living water that will all be used for the healing of the nations. Now, these themes are found here in 2 Kings chapter 5. There's dominion, there's blessing, and there's healing, healing for the nations. Now, I don't need to tell you that we live in a world which is bruised and battered by sin. We hear creation groan, but those groans are only assuaged with new birth and resurrection life. What we have for us today in in 2 Kings 5 is a picture of the church fulfilling her mission, the mission of healing the nations in the ministry of Jesus Christ poured out through His Holy Spirit. The fulfillment of the church's responsibility and commission to heal the nation. Now, Elisha is for us a picture of the body of Christ, and we learn from him this morning. So, as we look to Elisha, would you please pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word, living and active, pierce now our very hearts to the bone and and marrow that we might be convicted of sin, but also encouraged to rest in your promises, being renewed in the image of your Son. We pour out our lives to you now to be used for the furtherance of your kingdom. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. Scriptures tell us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that means not not just those who follow Him, but yes, even the enemies of God will bow knee and confess that He is Lord. Some of this will be a turning to worship the King, and others will be a turning from or a rejection of the King. But indeed, in some way, all knees will bow one day, and all tongues will confess, whether in life or in death, that Jesus is Lord. We have at the outset of this passage an enemy of God's people. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. Syria, country to the north and the east of Israel, they will be a plague for Israel as throughout their waning years as God's judgment is about to exile them to a foreign land. God is using the nation of Syria to humble His wayward and rebellious, unrepentant people. So here it is. Any help to a military commander of Syria would be like treason, wouldn't it? You're helping them defeat us. It would be a lot like Jonah 
who was told by God to go to the enemy Assyria, the Ninevites. It'd be like that. It would be against them. It would be like helping a, a, a terrorist leader accomplish his purposes. It, Syrians have been raiding Israel. It's clear from the first verse here, second verse, and they've been taking people. An Israelite girl is taken into bondage and serves a foreign people in a foreign land. Now, we've got Naaman on the scene. His name means pleasant. That's a hopeful mom, right? Name your kid pleasant. He's introduced to us as a man of valor, a man of victory, high favor with his king, but he was a leper, which meant for him, as for the Israelites, that there was in his life, now there was, he lived a life of exile from ritual worship. He couldn't enter in. He couldn't, he had inability to fulfill his civic or his public duties. I mean, hey, Naaman was a great dude, but that darn leprosy. He was a leper, a social outcast then. Verses 3 and following. The servant girl said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. See, the servant girl of Israel bears witness. She speaks wisdom and hope. She bears witness to God while she's enslaved in a foreign land. And in many ways, this is the task of those who follow Jesus, regardless station or circumstance in life. We are called to bear witness to the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We have a servant girl bearing witness now. Note, she doesn't look to the priests of Israel to heal or the king. She knows that salvation or healing, that's the, the same root word in Hebrew. Salvation and healing are the same word here. She knows that salvation and healing come from God alone through His servant or His word, the prophet. Big picture, there is healing for the nations, but it comes only through the word of God. And like those in Nineveh to whom Jonah bore witness to, these enemies of God in Syria, they respond in humility and in obedience, though they're still looking to the king for deliverance, the king of Israel for deliverance, power, and healing. We see here that nations will come to God's light for healing and for life. The next section begins this way, so he went, Naaman taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And then, of course, the king interprets this as a threat. Am I God that I can deliver, that I can heal? Heavy laden with riches and with fine clothes, Naaman's envoy is prepared to honor the king of Israel in order to warrant from him help from their God. But Israel's king, all he sees is trickery, deceit. There's a deadly threat. The Syrians are trying to trick us and invade us. So in anguish and in sorrow, we have the king doing what? He tears his robes, his royal clothing. In a, a symbolic act, he is disrobing himself. He is taking off the royal robes of authority. And in so doing, the reader, what we see or what we envision is a king who is dethroning himself. We have 
by his lips and his actions here, we have a confession that he is impotent to do anything of healing. It's a confession that the king is unable to save his own people, let alone to heal the nations. Though most likely this action is simply from despair as he fears attack. Verse 8, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored. You shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away. Naaman was angry and he went away. Israel was to be a light to the nations. That was their commission. And here we see the nations streaming to that light, the light of God's Word. And what they're looking for, Naaman and company, is healing. Now, Elisha does not work through kings anymore or or rulers of the land or the priesthood anymore. Rather, he invites this foreign leper to his house to show some hospitality to a man in need. And note that Elisha bears witness to God very much the same way that the servant girl did, that he may know there is a prophet in Israel. And this prophet is, is more than someone who can merely tell the future of what's going to happen. Uh, it's more than a, a prophet that can heal stew, which is nice, more than a prophet that can raise a dead child. Now, this man, this Elisha, he has access to the living God. He takes counsel with God. He bears witness as God's very Word. Healing comes from God alone, and access to Him is granted through His prophet or the Word. And note this, neither Elisha nor the servant girl say that the prophet is the one who can heal, only that there is a prophet. It is always God who is doing the work. I mean, look, Elisha doesn't even lift a finger, does he? Stays in his house, sends his servant, said, come on, come on over here. And this seems to really upset this commander. Verse 10a again, Elisha sent a messenger to him. Verse 11, but Naaman was angry, went away, saying, behold, I thought that he would surely, he would surely come out to me, stand and call upon the name of his Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them? And so he turned away in rage. Remember the centurion with a sick child, and Jesus says, I'll go and I'll heal your child. But the centurion says, no, just send a servant, and that will be enough. At your word, he will be healed. Well, Naaman's not quite as generous as that centurion servant. He was angry that only a prophet's servant came out to meet him. For some reason, he's offended by the command to wash in the Jordan River where there's There's better rivers around. How come I have to wash in the Jordan? As the psalmist says, the nations rage against God and His Word. And here, Naaman, a man of the nations, leaves in rage, verse 13 and following. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. 
and he was clean. The voice of reason has spoken. We've got bookends here. It begins with a servant girl showing the way to healing and freedom, and now we've got servants of a foreign land, a foreign people, speaking wisdom and hope for healing. And notice what happens when he dips seven times in the Jordan. His flesh or his skin is restored like that of a little child. You see the comparison here? This mighty commander is now new life turned into a little child. As Jesus taught, he says, let the little children come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter into it. And Naaman is given new life, new birth from water and spirit, and he beholds God in his fullness. See, the thing is, as this leprosy, it wasn't really life-threatening. But look at the great lengths at which the king of Syria and Naaman are going to for a healing. Look at the riches that are promised to be given to the king and God's people in Israel. Again, in Israel, as it would likely be in Syria, leprosy meant for at least a season, and sometimes it was a really long season, if not the remainder of their life. As long as they had a skin disorder of leprosy, there was isolation. We know a little bit about isolation. We know a little bit about what it is for a season to be outcast, to be removed from corporate worship, to not be able to serve as fully in public capacity, or simply to enjoy feasts with others in large celebrations. And in large part, that's why they go to such great lengths for this healing. This was a very important man for the king of Syria and his kingdom. He valued highly the service of this man. For Naaman here, healing of leprosy would be equivalent to a type of resurrection. He can now live a full life once again. And so he dips seven times in the Jordan River. Now, we are not privy to conversations between Elisha and God, but yet we see this this, uh, command to wash after leprosy. That's thoroughly biblical numbers, Leviticus 13 and 14. Elisha's prescription fits God's command for leprous Israelites to be cleansed, that is, ceremonially cleansed, that they might re-enter public and spiritual life. There's a lot of washings in the Old Testament, the many, many baptisms in the Old Testament law. But the interesting thing is none of those heal the leprosy, right? If you had leprosy, you didn't go immediately and wash. You washed only after the leprosy was healed. But here we have a ritual cleansing, a renewing of fellowship in the waters of baptism for the person who is healed to enter community and relationship with God. Through Elisha and this sevenfold dipping in the Jordan, Naaman is healed. And here's his response. Then Naaman returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And Naaman urged him to take it, but Elisha refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. 
In taking dominion and blessing the nation, the nations there, Christians are addressing not only physical needs, but also spiritual needs. We are body, spirit, God image bearers. Our task is to bear witness to God and to who He reveals Himself in Jesus Christ. The healing and restorative work for the nations is indeed God's work. And the truth remains that the gospel is the aroma of death for some who will continue to reject any witness that we bear, but to others it is the fragrance of life for those who are responding in gratitude like our man Naaman. He obeys the word of God. He dips in the Jordan. He is cleansed, and he has his profession. There is no other God in all the earth except in Israel. It's a profession of faith that responds to the life given him. Elisha then rejects the gifts offered in gratitude, giving all praise, honor, and glory to God. He is not the one who has healed him. It is God alone. And so a final request from uh, Naaman is given. Give me two loads of this soil, and Elisha grants it. The gods being so tied to the land, Naaman felt it necessary to bring some of the land of Israel back to worship, no lo- vowing not to, to offer incense or sacrifice to other gods, save the God of Israel, who alone is God. So Naaman has been baptized in the Lord, and yet Naaman much like Daniel, right? Naaman is called to serve Yahweh in a foreign and adulterous, idolatrous land. Look at verse 18 and 19, this request here. In this manner, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, leaning on my arm and I bow myself in the house of Rimon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said, go in peace. So the image here is of Naaman escorting the king into the temple of Rimon to pay obeisance to this god. And the request here is that in doing so, Naaman would be pardoned. And Elisha says, go in peace. Makes perhaps most sense to understand that what Naaman is doing is fulfilling his civic duty to his king. He's confessed Yahweh And this neophyte has much to learn, but his commitment is resolute and firm. Naaman understands the implications of that profession, echoing God's command that you shall have no other gods before me, says Yahweh. A strange request, and yet Elisha sends him forth in the peace of God. Now, this is quite a story, isn't it? Elisha and Naaman. I think it's Mixes, what makes the story, you know, very unique and, and interesting is that it's perhaps the most thorough story of conversion that we have of an individual in the Old Testament. It's interesting that, I mean, the healing follows on the heel of a lot of miracles. Throughout chapter 4, there was five miracles, and now this is a big miracle, right, that, that is happening here with this cleansing. And look who's being healed, a Syrian, a Syrian commander, a foreigner, an enemy of God's people. What's interesting is, remember in Luke chapter 4, Jesus opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads about his mission to to, to free the captives and, and to heal the nations. Do you remember that section? And then he rolls up the scroll, the shortest sermon ever, and all he says is, this today, this is fulfilled in your midst. 
I know you'd love for a sermon to be like that. It's not going to be that short here. But then, and then what he says after that is he, he talks about how, remember when Elijah healed the widow of, of Zarephath? I'm sure there were a lot of, a lot of uh, sons in Israel who were sick and dying, and yet Elijah healed a foreigner's son, raised him from the dead. And then he says this, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. What's his point? Jesus' point, as he says, this is my mission, to free the captives and to heal the nations. His point is that Israel is to be a light to the nations. They are to be a conduit for God's healing of the world, to bless all nations through them. So the point is twofold, at least for Israel. It says this, don't be negligent in loving and serving your neighbor, even though they be an enemy of God. But there's also a promise here. God is healing the nations. God is restoring his world. God is reconciling all things to himself through Jesus Christ. And he will have his way. Reading from the scroll of Isaiah, Jesus rolls it up, and his point is this. He has come in the flesh to set the captives free and to heal the nations. This is the very thing that Israel was commissioned to do from Adam's day all the way through Noah, all the way through Abraham and beyond. Generation after generation, this was their call as a light of the world. And Jesus comes onto the stage, and his sermon is both a rebuke and a promise. He rebukes Israel for following in the footsteps of Gehazi. Do you remember Elisha's servant, Gehazi? We didn't read this portion, but what happens is after Naaman starts heading back home to Syria, Gehazi says, man, Elisha turned down all these goodies. And he goes after after Naaman. And he gets some of those goodies for himself. Now, when Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, comes back into the house of the man of God, he lies about what he's done. He denies his actions, and God curses him with leprosy, the last we hear of this servant. He sought to get fat upon the blessings of God to the neglect of his neighbor. He loved himself over his neighbor. He's like the eldest son who was left outside of the party when the prodigal son returned. That parable, it just ends with the older son outside the party. It's like the master, the workers of the tenant workers in the master's vineyard. Remember those tenant in in Jesus' parable? They wanted to keep all the fruit for themselves. They even killed the master's son. But soon they will be cast out where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the warning remains for those of us in Christ. To look only inward to the neglect of neighbor, that is the curse of life. If we fail in our great commissions to take dominion over the world and to bless the nations through the grace of Christ, we live a cursed life. Now, we cannot heal, right? Only God can heal and do these kinds of miraculous works. In fact, we ourselves will know sickness, that we ourselves will often hear silence when we ask God for healing. We ourselves will taste death. Yet we're called, in the midst of those realities, to bear witness to the one who took on flesh in order to restore 
a sin-leprous humanity who are unable to enter God's presence. It is through this one's torn flesh that we now have access to a holy temple and to the holy of holies. And we are called to bear witness in word and by example as we are strengthened in corporate worship, as we depart to serve our King as ambassadors, we go in the peace that Christ has won for us. See, the reality is that the world will never be restored, nor the nations healed through prosperity, through politics, through power, through programs. Our call from the true and lasting Elisha, Jesus Christ, is to go, to go and make disciples of all nations. And like that dipping in the Jordan River, we are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what we see happening here. The nations are coming to the light of God. They are passing through the waters of judgment in Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of the nations dipping seven times in the Jordan. It's a baptism, a dying to the old self, arising anew in Christ. And while we live in lands that bow knee before gods like Rimon and Ashtoreth and Baals, our worship does not need wheelbarrows of dirt from any land because we serve a living temple. We worship God's holy mountain, who is Jesus Christ. Cleansed in the waters of baptism, we are fed at His banqueting table that we might worship with His body, and we depart as one people, just as Naaman did, and we depart in the peace of Christ. See, we are Christ's. We have been bought with a price, and we belong to Him. And like Elisha, with Elisha, we are to be broken In God's gracious and sovereign hand, we are to be given in gratitude and servitude to the nations so that through us and through our lives, the nations may know the healing and the life of Jesus Christ. So praise be to God who is reconciling all things to Himself through Jesus Christ, who is seated on His throne, and one day the river of living water will flow from that throne. There will be leaves from the tree of life that grow up in His garden, and those leaves will be given in totality for the healing of the nations. And we will live with Him in that city whose gates are never closed, all servants worshiping our King in the light of His glory. So it is in that hope we, His church, give ourselves to our King that we might be given to the world for His glory and for the good of His church, and yes, for the life of the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for Your Word, and we ask Your blessing upon us now as we have heard and received it. Would You conform us to the image of Your dear Son, that we might give ourselves to be a blessing to the nations. Whatever you call or ask of us, O Lord, may we be willing and strengthened by you as we go forth in your peace to serve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.